0: Welcome to The Social Universe, a podcast by PhD
1: students about society, politics and the academic universe.
2: Ranging from what it's like to be a PhD student in the social sciences,
0: to how we understand and navigate things that are happening in the world around us. I'm Kate and I'm a third year politics PhD student. I'm Bea and I'm currently a second
1: year PhD student based in sociology and social policy.
2: And I'm Ben and I'm a second year sociology of work PhD. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Social Universe. This time we'll be talking about literature reviews, which oftentimes takes a whole year of your PhD. So why is a literature review so important?
1: Well. The literature review often forms uh, either one or two big chapters of the final thesis. And so for that reason, it's important. But it's also the period in which you clarify where your research fits in relation to existing research and um, develop your research questions
0: accordingly. So this is really important because you need to have a good understanding of what else has been done before. So you know that you're not Uh, repeating research that's already been done but also it can really be very inspiring to give you ideas for your own um, research questions and what you want to do with it in the future.
1: So generally through the course of your year you go from having a general idea about maybe your topic that you're interested in or that you your PhD is based on um, and maybe an idea about what you might want to look at and through the process of reading methodological literature and also substantive literature on on research relating to what you're doing, then you develop questions which are much more specific. You define a gap or an area of a niche which hasn't been studied yet, which you're then able to really focus your research on meeting that gap.
2: Cool. So uh, I think we all started in different places with our literature review, didn't we? Um, Kate, do you want to go first and tell us? where you were at at the start of your three years?
0: Um, So, as we've mentioned before, the topic that I had for my thesis when I started was one that my supervisors had actually come up with, and I just applied for that topic. It wasn't one that I'd come up with myself. So it was about deprivation, and I'd never really researched that before. So I then had this mammoth task of trying to understand all the literature there was on that, which is a very general topic. Yeah, so it, it felt like a big task.
2: So, what prior knowledge did you have of the field before you started?
0: Well, so there was sort of two parts to it. There was, there was, I was writing about deprivation, and I was also writing about political participation. And the political participation stuff I was really very familiar with because I'd written about it a lot for my um, master's thesis. And then the deprivation stuff was new, so I kind of I started off with the participation stuff because it felt very familiar and it was quite easy to get on with that. Um, but then when I started to read about um, deprivation. I then had all these, um, these. I went off in a million directions about what is uh, class and what is um, poverty and on all, all these um, these really complicated terms. And actually, in the end, I found out I didn't really need to look at a lot of them. But it was it really helped to inform my thinking. I think while I was um, getting to grips with with what was already out there. What about you, B?
1: Well. I'd um, unlike both of you. I put in a, like original application for my PhD, which meant I'd already done quite a bit of literature reviewing for the proposal, which is different because it's quite specific. But um, you know, I'd like been focusing it for submitting the proposal. But I'd I um, had done a little bit, but really my. My research topic had come out of my experience in professional work, and for that reason, going into the PhD, I was really mindful that I developed questions kind of in the field, and I hadn't really grounded them at all in existing research. I didn't really know what was being done, um, or whether it was relevant, or if anyone really cared about it in an academic way. Um, and I felt quite, probably, quite uh, anxious about that—that that, you know, someone was going to call me out as not being academic enough. So. I was going into it really desperately, trying to very rapidly gain knowledge on everything else that existed. And I think that is how I, why initially I did like loads of mind maps and loads of literature searches in a very general way to just try and like become familiar with what was out there. Um, Because I was feeling like, you know, maybe anxious about not knowing enough. B, do you feel like you have got an understanding of the field now that you spent all this time on it? Um, yeah, I mean, I think what's what my whole literature review showed, like I say literature review, I mean the whole year of reading and reflecting and writing about the different aspects is that where I started off, pretty much I've now rejected entirely all of that literature and I'm not really using, but it was really important at laying the foundation. So, I spent a lot of time early on looking at a lot of stuff to do with policy implementation. And now I've taken maybe one or two insights from that and have now moved away from it entirely. But it was really useful um, to know where what I am focusing on sits, like within the history of social policy. Um, And so, yeah, I kind of moved around lots of different things. And I think that's something that can be quite overwhelming when you're doing literature reviewing is that initially I found like, can I talk about my field of
0: wheat? You, Theresa May. (laughs) Um,
1: So, my field of wheat, I don't know why I have this image in my head, but I felt when I first started like there was this big field of wheat. I don't know, midsummer, it's quite tall. And I was like plowing my way through it in a direction, say, reading about a particular topic. And I'd get so far in, I've carved out this path. And I'd be at the far edge of the field and then thinking, okay, I'm all the way over here, but this isn't actually really where I want to be. I've just got so lost in this particular literature and I want to get back to that part of the field. And so I spent the first few months just plowing on in one direction or the other and eventually lying in the middle of a big plowed mess, like where the heck am I? And then towards the end of the year, I started to rather than kind of go off in directions, started to bring those different topics towards me. And so I moved around less and I moved things more to where it fits within the framework that I was developing. And there's a whole load of ways I did that. And I can't necessarily, it wasn't like linear, like it was messy, but there was definitely a point where I started to feel more confident that I've got a bit of a strategy here and I'm not just aimlessly plowing a field or running through it, <laughs> like trees, May.
2: <laughs> okay, so I think unlike um, both of you, I, I was really at a standing start. I had no clue about what I was doing. So I applied for a steered PhD off the back of a couple of masters, which dealt with some theory like Bourdieu um, capitals, really, it was was sort of general sociological theory. And I had to research um, two or three sort of cross-disciplinary topics regarding the world of work and digital and creative industries in particular. Um, So I, I spent at least up until Christmas not having an clue at all what I was doing because I was just thrashing around in the dark, uh, trying to trying to get a foothold in, in the, in the literature. Uh, I also went to my supervisors and just like suggested, I don't think this is a good idea. Shall we, uh, should we do something else instead? And they, because they had a a lot better sense of what I was supposed to be doing. They gently nudged me back on track. Um, Yeah. So from there, uh, over a year, I really had to learn a lot, which I think if you're starting with very little previous experience, the implications for the workload is is quite substantial is, is, is important to consider um when we talk about the process in a bit how you know like just skimming stuff wasn't sufficient um I had to really read in depth I had to get an idea of which disciplines I was involved with because as well as um sociology and the sociology of work, I was also looking at organis- organisational studies and things like that. So um, I wish I did have a bit more of understanding of my topic when I started, because it would have it really helped me in the year.
1: It's interesting what you said there about um, the disciplines, because I think this is something which definitely before doing a PhD, I hadn't really reflected on. Maybe when you're writing essays and things like that, you don't need to really know what theory you're drawing from, you just use it. Um, Whereas similarly, like I mentioned policy implementation, I was I was spending a lot of time in my first year trying to work out who, who I was with. <laughs> like, you know, cause similarly I study work and so I could be sitting within organizational studies, policy implementation, the social work literature, there was stuff on change, there was stuff on ethics, there's stuff on behavior, they like loads of different things. And actually for me, they all use different language and actually were describing mm-hmm. very similar processes. And so, that was confusing as well, because they weren't necessarily talking to each other, but were ultimately describing similar like social phenomenon.
2: Yeah, that's interesting talking about the different disciplines because I found it um, if we're talking about searching for literature, which is obviously the bulk of what we were doing, um, knowing where to search is super important, right so um, a top tip, pro tip to you guys who haven't started yet, go to the library and ask for a session on how to actually use. Proper literature searches like using Web of Science and all those other ones. Name some other ones other than Web of Science. Google Scholar? Well, yeah, anything else? <laughs> I was <laughs> there told right use... <laughs> that was a
1: little bit of shaming. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the library were like, why are you using Google Scholar? Um, use all these things. And then I went back to my office, our office, and I asked Reese, uh, my colleague next to me, and he's like, I just use Google Scholar. <laughs> but but I, I did learn how to use uh, Web of Science particularly, and I know there are others. Which we I can't used think of, Web of science,
1: a lot, and I used yeah. to use sociological abstracts, um, yeah. and I can't remember which other one as well. I should have done some research. I'll
2: go- I could Google it now, but um, doing that is really important to search keywords uh, properly. If you don't know anything, you be know, using work, employment, on society, or organizational studies as journals, like which use different keywords, which don't use the same language necessarily. Uh, which maybe use completely different philosophical underpinnings then it's super difficult to get the literature that you need and I was working on the sociological side of it for majority of the year and then at the last moment realised I need to be reading all that um, organisational studies literature Mm. which I haven't yet done based on the fact I didn't know what I was doing so um, (laughs) yeah that's really important uh, in searching any top tips from you guys about um, where to search for your literature how to do it keywords that sort of thing
1: what Ben was explaining like describing with all these different sort of Journals using different keywords and stuff. Um, I would get quite, at one point in the year, I was getting really lost because I was trying to really read and get to grips with a particular topic or concept or something. And then I would keep feeling like I needed to understand a different one to be able to understand that one. And so rather than just keeping flitting around, I started to record the, the articles or the keywords or the people that were coming up quite a lot um, in whatever I was reading and I would um, put them on post-it notes and stick them on my wall. And then over time I started to link like, this is, but but I went full conspiracy theory wall is what (laughs) happened. And what I started to do was to move those different keywords, topics, concepts around and like sort them physically on my wall, depending on like where they fitted in. And that is how I started that process of bringing them into me. So I was going, okay, well, all of this stuff over here on neoliberalism is saying that all of these things are affecting working conditions. And the literature on social work is saying that one of the things that's happening in social work practice is this. And I think that they are linked together, but there isn't necessarily an article that links them together. So my theoretical framework then started to see how those would fit together. and. That makes me sound very fancy. I wasn't describing it as a theoretical framework until my annual review when someone said, well, that's what it is. (laughs) And so essentially that is what happened, but physically on my wall. And at one point it just looked like a lot of post-it notes and a lot of reading that I needed to read still on my wall.
2: So you did your sort of coding, I suppose, manually with a wall chart.
1: And actually I found out that that is the sort of person I am. And so when it comes to my analysis as well, I found getting onto highlighters and cutting and stuff is... Initially, more helpful than using software.
2: It's interesting because in my show notes, I read some stuff online and it said, uh, cut stuff out and use st- st- sticky things. And I, I wrote lol because I thought I was so antiquated. <laughs> uh, but it turns out, perfectly normal. Okay. Perfectly healthy. <clears throat> I used uh, Atlas TI, which is like NVivo, which is uh, both qualitative um, coding software thing. And I essentially did what you did to try and make sense of it all. And and it worked. But I I guess I just did it digitally with the same process. How did you code or organise all your literature? Well,
0: see, listening to you two has made me realise how, like, disorganised the way I went about it was. I never really did anything you could describe as coding, I don't think. I just basically, when I first started, my supervisors got me to write... um, uh like annotated bibliographies so I just write what I thought about things I'd read and I kept basically an ever-growing list of things I'd read and then it was sort of just I'd I'd kind of keep track in my head about patterns and stuff and then what I essentially did was just try to write out one long document where I connected everything and so then I would just go back and look so it was it was very manual and I really don't recommend it as a way of doing it because it's. is completely disorganized and it makes it very hard to remember (laughs) where things are. Um, But yeah, I think uh, like your way of doing it, Ben, wouldn't appeal to me at all. I think I would find that um, actually quite difficult whereas B's way is... is maybe antiquated but quite appealing I I really like the idea of having that visual thing where you can and it just shows how different we all are doesn't it I think think actually going back to the top tips one thing Mm. I would say Mm. is don't stress about what other people are doing because everyone has such a different way of approaching these things it's you don't have to be doing it one way or another because there's loads of different ways to
2: do it Yeah, I think that's why it's hard to pick up advice online because everyone, everyone has to do it their own way Okay, so I'll clarify what I did in Atlas TI. I uh, made my own notes on readings I did, and then I coded the notes. Mm -hmm. And in Atlas TI, you can then pick a code and visually see it all together as if it's on a notice board, but it's just on my screen. Mm
1: -hmm. I also um, wrote what I called a note to self. However... (laughs) It was no, it was definitely not a note because by the time I finished it, it was like 15,000 words. And it wasn't to myself because it's what I mainly shared with my supervisors for the first couple of months. But what it was, I suppose, is that I was reading and I'd write notes on what I was reading. And then my note to self was kind of notes on those notes, kind of bringing them together. So based on whether that was like content or whether that was theme or just things I found interesting, I kind of tried to group together. Um, it was very, very rudimentary, so it wasn't. It couldn't have been used by a literature review because it was very much in the style of like, this was interesting for this reason. I think this, I maybe need to look more at this. And so it was like a note in that sense rather than like proper substantial literature review. But it then became quite a useful bridge between loads and loads of text notes and then trying to write my annual review, which is really what I've currently got as a literature review. Um, so I did that as well. And I recorded some notes to myself, audio notes that I never listened to again.
2: Yeah, I did that and I used <clears throat> one note to do my notes to self, mm. which was like what I'm doing today like so I kept a diary of what I was doing where I needed to be in a week. I probably didn't use them again once I've done them, but it was like embedding that um, planning in my head I suppose. and you, okay, you did that without writing anything down just kept it in your head.
0: Yeah, I think so. Because <laughs> I, I think I honestly I don't know how I made that jump from having annotated bibliographies to having a review written down, but I did somehow. I think it must have just been in my head. And I mean, I do think that I I still feel now I there's certain aspects of the literature I don't have a good grasp on, particularly just silly things like who who wrote what things I've read. So like I a lot of time people will be like, oh, have you read this paper by so-and-so? And I'll be like, oh, I don't know. Because I, I remember the topic, I don't remember who wrote it. And I think if I had a better filing system, then I might remember who, who wrote things more often. But but yeah, I think I just kept it all in my head.
2: Yeah, so um, filing system, like you said you use Mendeley and I, mm-hmm. I use Mendeley. What do you use? EndNote, B.
1: am smiling because I started off using EndNote. And it kept malfunctioning and crashing, and then I never replaced it. And so at the moment, everything's manual, which, so is, which is which is really That's crazy. a bad idea. Um, And I am going to rectify it at some point soon Um, because. But with what was happening is, I was spending all this time inputting it onto a thing, and then I was still manually typing in my references, so it was pointless. But 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 then it does mean you learn it. Like I do really know. The names and dates of everyone because I've had to type them in so many times but it's you can't do that in a thesis because every time you change you know you, you want to be able to do it so that it changes all of those references not not have to try and search
0: them manually it's just not clever but that's why I'm a bit ashamed and embarrassed but I, I did that for my master's like I didn't I never had any software for my master's for referencing and it was slow but It worked, but for my thesis, that just sounds like a nightmare because you've got so many more references than you've ever had before. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But I think, you know, we're talking about top tips. I think that is another thing for anyone that's maybe just starting out, Um, I so Kate's a year ahead of me and I remember speaking to her like in my first week, like freaking out because I already had this chip on my shoulder that I was behind and I didn't know it yet. And I just couldn't wait to get started. But actually taking some time in those first few months to go on some training, go on some training about like software, like software on organizational different stuff. Um, Like there's all those. It's not called Linda anymore. It's called like, what's it called? Oh, is it LinkedIn Learning? LinkedIn Learning. But there's all these kind of videos and tutorials on how to use different things that will help you manage your research. And it's worthwhile taking that time because for me now, I'm thinking I just don't have time to learn how to use the software. But if I'd had it all the way through, that would have been really helpful. Um, And the same thing with all these things, like the library runs courses on um, how to do literature searching and things like this. So it's worthwhile doing when you have that time at the beginning. Mm. Yeah,
2: agreed. So do you think you learn a lot during your literature review year?
0: Um, I feel like the answer to that question is no. Okay. But I don't think that's an accurate answer. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is a classic imposter syndrome being stuck in the middle of your own research type problem where you are so obsessed with everything you do, you're so aware, you, you, it, it's like they always say about, um, when you become an expert in something, you just basically become more aware of all the things you don't know. And so I feel like I don't know anything and I learn nothing because I am so aware now of all the things there is that I have left to read and all the things I have left to do and understand. Um, that, but actually I think, but if, so for example, I came to do a lecture the other day. Um, just, I was doing some teaching at uni and one, my lecturer asked me to do one of the lectures. And when I came to write it, I was like, actually, this, this is quite easy to write because I feel like teaching an undergrad about my topic, I can explain it without much effort. So I definitely have moved on. I definitely have learned a lot. It just is very hard to keep that sense of perspective most of the time because you're just so stuck in it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think you're the field of wheat thing when you're... Going in one direction, not understanding the con- where you are—is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, putting it all in, into sort of context and putting it into place was where I was for the majority of the year, uh, and I couldn't talk coherently about the stuff that I knew. But as I've come out of it, I feel like I'm, I am an expert in the literature that exists around uh, my topic, and it was a, it was a joy to do, really. Like. Um, because I like learning and stuff. Yeah, yeah. so I, th- I feel like I did learn, <laughs> learn a lot because I was from zero knowledge at the start. Mm-hmm. And when I went to conferences and um, workshops, uh, which were like activist sort of workshops, um, being able to think theoretically about what was going on was really interesting as well. And that helped embed the knowledge and understanding.
1: I mean, I agree with what you said, Kate, in that I... I feel all the time, like I know less than yeah, you explained it perfectly what you said. But I think definitely through the process I've I've learned because I was reading like my proposal and some of the initial stuff that I wrote um, and I, I kind of was writing throughout. But I read my sort of note to self and original drafts of things and it's so bad <laughs> um they obviously have moved on but I think in the process you become more aware of the areas that you aren't an expert on that you don't understand and therefore you, you lose confidence for that reason. Whereas I suppose when you don't know what you don't know, you're more confident to just say statements based on whatever mm. you know experience you've had. Um, and I think that's something which I think most PhDs fear, right? Is that they've massively missed on something and they get, get to their viva. At the, or they write, they're, they're at the very end of it and they just have realised they've just missed this whole body of stuff. Um, and I suppose that d- does happen to people. But I think realistically, you're always going to miss something. And it's, it's more about you understanding where what you're doing fits into anything else. And so if there is this whole thing you've missed, then it's like, okay, well, I've been based in this, you know, I've been based in all these debates and whatever. And this is how there might be a link to that. So this actually happened to me recently because I, throughout the whole of everything I've been doing, I never considered my research to be risk work. Um, But there was this conference for the British Sociological Association. It was a study group before Christmas, which was on tensions at the front line, which is, exactly what my research is and it was by the risk study group and I went and all of the literature they were talking about and all of the themes and all the presentations were exactly what I'm doing. And I had not been, I've not read hardly any of that literature. So in a way I'm now having to go back, but that is another reason why it's good to go to conferences and events because that is where you'll pick up on if you've missed out on things or if you've you know, not been very relevant in what you've been doing. Mm
2: yeah I mean, just doing my methodology now, <clears throat> I'm realizing because I'm taking a critical realist approach, which a lot of organizational studies does because I'm reading the methodology literature that then references that i'm you know I'm still going to clearly be reviewing and um redoing my literature review off off the back of that basically so yeah we're always up until the submission date we're always doing it, and we're going to have to rewrite in the final year anyway, is that right okay? Are you there yet, rewriting? Uh,
0: no, not yet. I should be, <laughs> but I am not. <laughs> <laughs> no shame, no judgment. <laughs> well, that's not quite true because I've written, um, I like, I'm trying to write up some of my work into papers for journals at the moment. And so you always have to be thinking about the literature whenever you're doing that because even if you don't have a long literature section in there, you're always going to have some literature in your papers. So that, yeah, you, you, you are always reworking it. And I don't think that will ever
2: stop. Yeah, and I suppose as well, it's the stuff we miss the first time around and we're learning all the time. What we got right the first time round is being updated all the time in journal. So you're gonna have to go back and mm. go and read relevant, up to date stuff mean, and plug that in.
1: That happened massively between my proposal and this year, because I uh this is just one of those time things. I wrote my proposal in two thousand and just like December 2016 and submitted it in twenty seventeen, is that right? Mm-hmm. No, 2018. I don't know. Anyway, at that point, there was very few studies that had been published talking about the experience of frontline work under austerity, and it was really missing in the literature. And this year, 2019—sorry, last year, 2019—then there was all of these studies that had been published coming out with that stuff, and so it was really, really current. They were doing that research at the point that I was writing my proposal, and then now it's happened. So, and then the other thing that for me is that I'm going to have to focus massively when it comes to actually my findings, because at the moment um, I've got a literature, I understand my research questions and what I'm wanting to look out for, but the specific, what I actually find is then going to mean that I focus more on certain literature than others, because that's where the connection is. So yeah, we're not done yet.
2: Sure. I mean, my my lit review is comprehensive uh, and is at least 8,000 words over the the word limit that I'm going to have. Um, so I'm going to have to strip out everything I haven't found, you know, that isn't relevant to my findings, obviously, so.
0: Mm. I think that can be a really good process, though, because when I, so I wrote my lit review originally for my annual review, which is what in our department we call the, like, the first year kind of progression stage. And um, I... Had to write a lit review for that, and it was it was quite long. And then afterwards, I was um, presenting at a conference, and so I had to rewrite this paper, but as an eight thousand word paper, I think. Um, and I had to cut so much out because it was unwieldy. And actually, that was a it was a difficult process, but it was a really good one because I really focused on what it was I was trying to say, and I got rid of so much stuff that I didn't need. And actually, it was a blessing. And now in my literature review. Is basically eight thousand words, and it's 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 much more focused. And it's I mean, it, it will grow. That I would like a bit like you were saying when you do your data analysis, you then realize there's stuff you need to add in that you haven't thought of. But it's it's a much better place than it was because of that process of having to cut it down. So I, I actually really recommend that as a thing. Like if you if you write a literature review, try and publish it because then you have to make sure it's really tight and really succinct.
2: Yeah, I suppose that goes to show that. The lit review process is is worth it for more than just the PhD because yeah. you get to pu- you might get to publish and I mean it's a great learning curve anyway to write like that. that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I would say about that is that I, you know, it's an ongoing process and we've said that, but definitely the annual review and I, we might have a we might have a podcast where we talk about the progression milestones and that you know that. But for me, it was at the annual review that I was really writing my literature in a kind of academic way rather than this kind of notes and sort of stuff. And I wrote so many drafts of that and I rearranged the, I restructured it so many times, but I did some really, really deep thinking work at that point. And it was really bringing all those different things together. And um, yeah, conspiracy war was on. (laughs) I'd probably was a bit at times, I felt like I was going into the kitchen talking to my partner, like, you know, I think I've got it trying to explain it and him just looking at me like, what the heck? Um, <laughs> feeling like I was on the edge of some sort of massive breakthrough. But that was like, that process of writing helped me to do that. And so I think it shows like why it, it's, it is all of the reading and all the notes and all of that work, but it is also the process of breaking that down into a written form which you can then maybe present or do something else with. And that is really the, the folk, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but that, that's the, that's the real work, I suppose.
2: Yeah. And something I was going to say was that, that process of writing up and focusing and doing that deep thinking can completely change the course of your PhD. Right. So my experience was I had a bit of a breakdown when I realized that the steer that I was paid to, to follow, uh, the literature didn't really speak to that it didn't suggest that people were acting like weren't retraining for the industries I was I'm studying the digital and creative industries older workers because of the immense barriers in place due to various factors I won't go into now didn't seem to happen very much and there's very little literature if, if any that talked about it so I had to when I was doing my deep thinking and writing up i, I realized I had to Try and change this, and I had to go to my supervisors and say this just doesn't happen. Here's the reasons why we need to change course, and um, you know we all agreed that actually that was a sensible option. Um, yeah, so that's that's really a result that can. If you're not honest here, then maybe it's not so so important. But for me, that was a huge sort of um, emotional moment, I suppose, in the year where I had to to make that leap. And and what that does it. it Means you own that literature review. You know you, you own the PhD then. What? Because if you're on a steered PhD, maybe you feel like you're. I felt like I was just doing a job for someone in a way. I was getting paid to to do this steer, but I had to take full ownership of it based on my reading and my academic skills and all that sort of thing. And I feel much better about that now. And I feel like um, uh, more confident doing it.
0: You did that as well, right? Yeah. So I was going to ask you a question actually, Ben, because. Um, so I had a big change in mind. As I said, I was originally writing about deprivation. And then as I was going on, I was like, oh, I really want to write about austerity. So I did switch it. But the whole time my supervisors were like, yeah, just go for it. Do whatever you find interesting. Well, you know, that that sounds like a good topic. So just make it that. But I feel like from what I remember, you didn't have that same support because you had the funding that was tied to this, the more specific topic for you. Um, whereas my funding was more general, so it was it was it was easier to change it, but you've got the industrial strategy link, so I just wondered how hard it was for you to actually make that change.
2: Yeah, because of the the uh the funding I had was from the industrial strategy and I thought it was quite fixed to the steer that I had, I thought it would be harder than it ended up being to change, but once I've justified my case, it turned out to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was nerve-wracking.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You've suddenly done all this year's work and you realise there's there's no PhD here that was i had a bit of a breakdown to be honest uh i remember being in my kitchen like i don't know i was sort of having heart palpitations thinking uh you know all these um bizarre medical conditions i was thinking i'd had because that's that's how i respond to anxiety and stress and then suddenly a light bulb turned on i was like ah strategies older workers can use to sustain careers in the digital and creative industry and it was like that fits everything perfect thank goodness mm-hmm. and i and i Justify my case, and it was all, all as well.
0: Yeah, I do. I do think just slightly separate point, but listening to you say that, and then also what you were talking about just now, be. I think I. I mean, I found the whole lit review process very difficult and not particularly enjoyable. But there are those moments where suddenly things start to fall into place, that you suddenly have inspiration. I remember, once I was I was writing something, and one of my friends had read a draft, and he was like, "Oh, this needs to change. It's not really working." And I just didn't know what to do because it felt like such a massive change. And I went to bed. Luckily, I had a good night's sleep. I woke up in the morning and I was like, I know exactly what to do. And it was just, it just came to me. And so those moments are just brilliant. They're so joyful when you're like, I've got this. I know what I'm doing. I've, I've got this idea. And I know how to solve the problem I had or whatever it is. And mm. that, that can be such a pleasure in writing a lit review.
2: <laughs> We've talked about the highs and lows of the lit review experience. Um, how did you guys find it overall?
0: Um, Well, I didn't enjoy it at all. Um, (laughs) I say at all, obviously, as I mentioned, there was these good moments, but they were few and far between. Um, And I think there's something very strange about spending an entire year writing up what other people have written about. Um, And I mean, especially for me and I mean, all of us, we came from jobs and I'd come from a particularly fast paced job. And suddenly I was given the task of reviewing all of the literature on this very general topic. Um, and I had a year to do it and it was it was com- incredibly daunting and I felt like I had no idea what I was doing and that feeling basically did not pass until my annual review was done. Um, and that was a pretty awful experience to be honest because to spend the best part of a year feeling like you have no idea what's going on is a really difficult experience to have. Um, and I had a lot of other things going on in my personal life that were also really hard and that, Having that lack of focus and that lack of, like, like I was begging my supervisors for deadlines, <laughs> and that's that's something that people joke about. Like undergrads hate deadlines, but postgrads, well, master's students, sorry, PhD students at least, are desperate for deadlines because it's you just got three years to do this massive project, and so um, I think I didn't cope particularly well with that, to be honest. And actually, having been doing, um, you know, writing. Applying for ethics and doing um, field work and these things—they're a bit more focused, and you—you you, you know when you're going to get things done, and it, it feels a bit more structured in a way. But literally, you have to—you have to structure yourself, and it's really hard.
1: I—I I equally found it challenging, and I think what's really weird is that you know we've been talking about how you, throughout the process of the year you might become more confident and competent at talking about what you're doing. And so really, whilst you're still in that stage of not being like competent and not feeling competent, it's so isolating because you may be to your supervisors a little bit, but even then I felt like I was doing so much reading and in my head I had all of this ideas. And every time I tried to say it out loud, I had it was just child speak. And mm-hmm. um you never really talked to anyone else about what you're doing because it's so isolating. Whereas this year, like we've been doing this podcast, but one of the reasons why we've been doing that is because we spent less time on our own reading and more time kind of doing other activities as part of like the second year. And it's, it's, it's quite, I miss that now a little bit. I'm trying to, I miss reading and I'm not doing as much as I should have done. And it's like such a, I don't know, contrast between like literally last year, just spending all time reading and being on my computer and not really doing anything practical and then this year I've been too busy doing too many things and I would like desperately have some time alone in my office to read (laughs) um so it's very very isolating I think the first year
2: yeah I mean I went from a job which was very much not project-based 20 minutes 20 minutes so I was crying out for some sort of big project and a literature review is certainly that uh yeah I would say it's so unfocused though it's pretty difficult to Keep on track i was lucky that i well we negotiated in supervisions that we would have deadlines every four to six weeks about presenting a next batch of uh literature which was useful in helping me find out where i was in that sort of literature search and all that sort of thing um but you know i had as soon as i started my phd i found out where we were pregnant with our first kid so that was a massive distraction as you can imagine and i took two months out in the literature review year, in the first year, uh, which is really difficult to get back into. So um, yeah, just like top tip, find a way of staying focused and having some structure. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. if things outside of your job of doing this um, come up, then good luck.
1: Mm Yeah. And like we said, there's highs and there's lows. And some of those highs, like you said, it happened in the kitchen. I definitely had like moments in the shower, moments walking around, like doing something completely different. And I think because we've all had experience of work in some ways, we've tried to have, from what I know about us, we've tried to do a sort of Monday to Friday and try to do stuff during the day rather than working on evenings and weekends. And I think where you can, get into that routine and rhythm because I know people that have been just doing it all day, every day, and you get so lost, you need to have a life outside of whatever your PhD is. Um, And there will be times that when I was writing my annual review, I didn't have a life, but in general, you need to still have one. And also something to apply your literature to. Like with, with social sciences, we are researching society if we're not in society because we're just reading in a room, that's going to be difficult to then draw those connections to what's going on in the world and being relevant. So, if no other reason than for your excellent PhD, go and be a social actor.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things I actually regret about my first year is I didn't teach. Um, And I know some departments don't let you teach in your first year, but mine did, and I just chose not to. Um, My second year was manic, and I basically didn't have time. And then my third year has been even more manic, and I barely squeezed in teaching Um, and it's obviously useful financially but also I think in my first year I would have found it as a brilliant chance to kind of think about something slightly different but also it's that reassurance that you are not thick and actually you can teach people stuff (laughs) Um, and so I think you know if you can that that would be another piece of advice is you know find teaching in your department because it can be the perfect time in your your three years or however many years to, to actually do it.
2: Okay, so hopefully if you're thinking about doing a PhD or you're in the thick of your literature review, this has been helpful.
1: Ultimately, it's something that uh, most people have to go through and I am very grateful to now be on this side of it. Um, and what that also means is moving forward, having established our literature review, we're now all in the process of either conducting the research or analysing the research we've done in Kate's case. and so. Those aspects will be what we're focusing on in future podcasts. Um, ethics and data analysis and collection. We'll be focusing on those, those aspects of the PhD research process.
0: Yeah, we'll also be doing um, some podcasts on other other aspects of PhD life. So we'll be talking about what it means to be a... Parent as a PhD student or thinking about becoming one.
1: (laughs) Also, there's been um, some recent reports coming out about the nature and culture of higher education, particularly being a very stressful place to work. Uh, We've mentioned that a little bit today, but we'll talk a little bit about uh, research culture in an episode.
2: And we might have, um, if they go ahead, uh, breakout episodes on the continuing UCU dispute and strikes.
1: Thanks for listening to our podcast today and good luck if you are in the process of doing a
0: literature review.
2: If you'd like to ask questions or have your say on the issues we're discussing, you can find us on Twitter at universe underscore social.
0: Or you can email us at social.universe at outlook.com. Thanks for joining us and hope you enjoyed this trip
1: around the social universe.